Good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Perfect. Hi, everyone. Donovan Brown. I'm a senior program manager here at Microsoft responsible for DevOps, which I am responsible for TFS, or the long version is Team Foundation Server, or VSTS, which the long version is Visual Studio Team Services. Uh, and I am really excited today because I have my buddy David Tessar here. So David, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, so I'm a senior technical evangelist at Microsoft uh, focused uh, on DevOps. So I am, I'm in the, the DX team, uh, which is a little different than you, but we both have the common shared Love of DevOps. Exactly. Right. What's That's funny right. is I used to be in DX. Yeah. yeah. I was in DS as a TSP, and so I know what it means to be in DX and be in the field and trying to get our message out, and I really mm -hmm. do appreciate it. And I think we complement each other really well. It's funny yeah. that we saw that one blog, that tweet where the guy said we're like the, what was it, the lethal weapon of DevOps? Yeah. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. It was awesome. It was because good. With 20 years of development, and you almost have the same amount of years in infrastructure, yeah. it's really nice for us to keep each other balanced, right? That's right. So we don't, we don't go too far one yeah. way or the other way. That's right. And what I'm hoping for today is an education on infrastructure's code and configuration's code, because he's the man when it comes to that, and I really wanted to get your opinion, and sure. I wanted to demystify some of the acronyms and when, when is what. Because I've asked that question a couple times, like, okay, do you consider infrastructure's code and configure's code as the same thing? I do not, and I'm curious yeah. on. I think sure. you agree. Do we want to? Do you want to start in on that? Or sure, you I do. Okay. I do. So let's go ahead and let's look at a okay. definition yeah. of what infrastructure's code is. Sure. Let's talk to so that. so I'll just read uh, what it says here, and then and then have a discussion. So it says uh, this is a Forrester white paper. If you just uh, search up Forrester infrastructure's code white paper, it's a free download. Uh, we did a a, a, a study with Forrester. Uh, surveying a bunch of people on the impact of infrastructure as code. But in this, we defined infrastructure as code as a strategy in which the techniques, processes, and tool sets used in software development are leveraged to manage the deployment and configuration of systems, applications, and middleware. Now, uh, to be fair, so before we started this, you know, there was a challenge, and this is, this is a hard thing in the industry now, which is that there's not a standard agreed upon definition, here's what infrastructure as code or even config as code means. Correct. And I've had a lot of these conversations out there on this topic. Sure. Uh, you know, so the first thing we found was like, there's way more people apparently searching for infrastructure as code than config as code. <laughs> so, so there's that. That's uh, but uh, also you'll notice in that definition that was there, uh, it does talk about configuration. I saw that. I heard and that. So, and I'm like, right? whoa, that, that, so, to me, that kind right. of blurs and the so, lines a lot. It, right. And so, and so I think, at least for me, uh, I think when I think about infrastructure as code, I kind of just assume that the configuration is all there that needs to be there, right? So you could, you could create, let's say, a, a, a piece of code that goes and just pushes a VM that does nothing. Right. And has no configuration, but the VM pops up. And that is say. infrastructure's code and, is and my purest mode. And that it's purest, most simplest exactly. form. You could try and argue that. I would I would say though, I would almost go a step further in that, you know, if you think about why are you doing this, right? Why are you doing this spin up a VM? Sure. It's likely to service developers or somebody else who has a use to use that particular Agreed. piece of infrastructure. Agreed. So therefore, you're going to likely need to do some form of configuration of that infrastructure. No argument. <laughs> right? No right? argument. But so, to me, those are two yeah. different phases of an end goal. Right. Right. Step one yeah. is spin so, up the environment. Step two is configure it. So infrastructure's so, code, configure's code, it, together are the solution. Yeah. yeah. And that's so, why I wanted you here, because yeah, I, I right. still wanted that's to hear That's right, it. man. So, so I mean, I, I think, so I haven't even been using config as code personally um, in 
talking because I just say infrastructure as code because I, because I just say, look, if you're provisioning infrastructure as code, I expect you to have the configuration necessary to host the application or provide that service as an ops person to whoever it is that you need to be there. Fair right? enough. Right? So I, infrastructure as code, just assume it's there. If you're doing infrastructure as code, and as we talked about, the most simplest basic form of the, the world, <laughs> you're kind of, it's minimally useful, right? Agreed. And I think the reason that I split hairs there is because I can do configuration as code without infrastructure as code yep. because I can do it against physical right. machines. Right. So if I have a physical Windows machine or a Linux yep. machine, I can run a DSC script or a chef recipe, yep. and it has absolutely nothing yep. to do with infrastructure as code. And it makes sense, right? And, right. and, and I think in the, the VM case, is a particular one where it so, becomes where where it makes sense, right? So, absolutely. So like when you if you provision just I mean there's a lot of ways you can do infrastructure as code, right? But if you in the at least in the example of, of Azure and Azure deployment templates, uh, if you're provisioning a pass service like an Azure website, uh, for instance, you do the configuration of that service in the template itself. Agreed. And after that, you're you're really done. Right. right. And so so but with VMs it's a little different. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And and with VMs, you obviously, at least again, continuing on with the, the Azure deployment template example, you know, you can specify, let's say, a PowerShell script or a DSC chef, script. D, yeah, DSC script or 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 other things to try and configure that VM. Uh, and that would then kind of complete that that piece, exactly. but I fully hear you there on, there's on still that there's still, at least especially for VMs, there's a possibility where you could do configuration in code without actually having the infrastructure being deployed. So for instance, right, a, a PowerShell DSC script. Just because you have a PowerShell DSC script doesn't mean you're now doing infrastructure as code because you're not going from no infrastructure to exactly to that. exactly. So, so I, I I understand. I, I you know I think. But I might I be think, splitting hairs too. I might be getting too yeah. fine grained to where it doesn't really it's, doesn't really benefit yeah. anyone to know the differences. Yeah. No. I mean I think I think it's fair, right? I I, I think um, you know it, it, config as code. I don't have a, a a problem with it per se. I just think that. I tend to gravitate towards infrastructure as code because I feel like it, it kind of encompasses both sure. usually. I think uh, so too. And and often when I find you know config as code, you could go on its most simplest term like I added a registry setting and now I've got config as code, and it's kind of like, well, you know, you, you, you did, right, but yeah. I, I got you. Know you know what I'm I got saying? you. But so. then I saw I say again the whole thing was I learned configuration as code first, yeah. so I learned DSC and I was doing it yeah. against physical machines. So yeah. to me, config as code was its own separate yeah. thing. Yeah. And also I have another question. So is infrastructure as code? Does that imply that I'm doing virtual environments? It must, right? Not necessarily, right? So I mean, how do I stand I mean, up so a physical hardware well, with this well, with well, script? Well, yeah. It, <laughs> It's po I say it's possible <laughs> that you could provision <laughs> like a a spinning uh, piece of metal and and get it installed, right? That's possible. I mean, that's been in the the ops world for a long time with system center and things oh, like that. Oh, okay, uh, but I would say in the world in which we live, right? We're 2016. Uh, if you're not doing virtualization, containerization, cloud services, something like what what's your Problem, right? <laughs> like you're sitting here in provision bare metal. Like, yeah. Who are you? Like, I don't know. Like, right? infrastructure code is not for you. Right. Like, that's, that's the question. Right. If you're still there, right? Yeah. Well, and 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 certainly, like, you know, I'm sure that there there's there's use cases, especially things like IoT and all that. But the main thing is with the concept of infrastructure code is that you go from nothing to everything that's needed to provide that service. Agreed. Whether that service being the app that you're working on or De even development VMs for all that I care, right? Sure. If, if it's, hey, I want to spin up dev VMs in Azure for devs to develop on, 
fine. Got You've it. done everything you need to to get that ready to go. Got right. it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Good. So I, I think I think we're in agreement, and I think again I just I I because I learned the configures for code first yeah. I always keep them yeah. separate in my mind as two I, separate steps I, I think it's I think it's also important because I know we're talking about source code I think it's also important because another one that people get confused with is configuration management right we talked okay. about this a little bit yesterday yeah yeah and so so let's assume let's just go with that term the config as code okay, okay? Uh, assuming you have that um, continuing on with our example of PowerShell DSC script uh, if you apply that PowerShell DSC script and do nothing else to that box, sure, that box will have been configured the way it is. But let's say something changes five minutes, 30 minutes later. You now no longer know that that necessarily is going to be the case. Well, that's right? uh, not, and, not, it, it, not necessarily yeah. true, right? Because it, DSC has the configuration right. monitor where every 15 minutes it will wake up and reapply that DSC to yeah, it. Yeah, so there's, so there's within it of itself. Manager, I think it's so, what it's called. Well, yeah, so manager. okay, let's put it this way. Um, <laughs> And I can there's, change the timeout. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can change things for it to apply by itself. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Okay. But, but in terms of if something changes, like let's say somebody's hacking that virtual machine, okay. right, or that that VM, ha have knowing it, when, is it changing every five minutes, and 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 that might be an indication of something I need to know about. Sure. Or I have a thousand nodes, and I need that DSC configuration to be updated. Right. I need to make a slight change. How do I go and do that? How do I put it under management? I, I outside of managing see, yeah, itself. You're, you're so, not talking about the low-level technology, because I would do a pool server to answer your second right, question. That's right. That's right. what I'm saying. So once you go pool server, yeah. or we have the Azure Automation uh, DSC service, right. would be our service answer to the pool if you're server. In the cloud, yeah. If you're in the cloud, right? Then now you're doing, I would argue, configuration management. Okay, right? fair enough. You know, and fair so enough. that that is separate um, than sure. the code itself. It, exactly. It, I think it, configuration I'm, as code is a tool <laughs> that is used to implement configuration management. Yes, that's okay, right. That's, that's how I say it. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, kind yeah. of like that foundation that's there before you go to configuration, a full configuration management DevOps practice, right? Which is is there. You got to have that piece there, because okay. otherwise you can't enforce something that you don't have defined in code. Sure, sure. Right. So let's talk about this too. So, um, being a Microsoft guy, mm -hmm. when I think of infrastructures code, I immediately think of Azure. Um, templates, right? Uh -huh. But what other tools are in the industry yeah. for doing infrastructure code? Sure, sure. Uh, well, I'd say the most prominent, I'd say, suite of DevOps tools that people are familiar with would be like Puppet, Chef, Salt, and Ansible. Okay, um, so those are all ones that come to mind. It, for sure. And the yeah. funny thing is, is that again, learning DSC first, I would always compare DSC, Chef, and Puppet to almost be like in the same line of business as configuration is code, right? Again, mm -hmm. I, I got to remember that this angle yeah. that I'm coming from. Um, but not infrastructure is code. Because yeah. the cool thing about ARM templates is that nothing has to exist first. There's no proxy servers. There's no infrastructure. Right. I just give it to Azure, and then right. boom. Yep. But for Chef, there yep. has to be a node provisioned somewhere that's no. going to run that recipe, right? No, no. So, so all of those four players that I mentioned, uh, I'd, I just, I mean, there's other ways you can do it, but I just listed those as kind of the major sure, ones sure, people sure. think about. Sure. But all, all of them have some form of provisioning driver. Okay. Uh, and that all requires of them, no installation all, anywhere. That's right. Okay. Well, I mean, right. other than their client, just like Azure, you have to have the Azure PowerShell or the sure. Xplot CLI. Sure, so there's sure. a client-based tool that all of them have that allows I, you to right. have a provisioning right. connection. Because when I create my Chef yeah. work, my workstation. That has enough on it to be able to yeah. run any cookbooks I want, and then it could go up against yeah. Azure so, and do it. So, I got gotcha. you. So in gotcha. fact, today, uh, <laughs> earlier today, <laughs> yeah, no, you had I was I was with a chef at the Automate to Migrate, and one of the things that Andre did was he used the uh, the kitchen, the chef 
the engine driver, which actually connects to Azure RM. And we went from nothing to our, our parts unlimited MRP application in, it was like minutes awesome. in Azure. Awesome. Right? And it, it was just right there from his, his laptop and done. Yeah, I'll, I'll link so, to the description in here that video because I actually want to watch it too. So that yeah. sounds fun. Yeah, so, but there's a lot of different ways, right? And that's, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I think this, this DevOps practice thing is, is a super important thing because there's so many different ways that you can, you can enable these, these concepts, right? right? So, you know, and it, it, it doesn't matter exactly how you do it, um, but as long as you, you know, build that muscle up and have the dev and the ops collaboration. I, I, loved, I, I love the fact that, uh, that, that our, our practice slides happen to you know, <laughs> <laughs> look like you and I. It's kind of fun that exactly, way. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's good. And um, now we just find it here, but it didn't really talk about, I guess we're talking more about configuration management again, where source control is not mentioned, because that's where you have to store your code, right? You need a well, tool to actually execute that yeah. script as well. There's, there's yeah, more to it. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I this definition, I mean, it's, it's it, I think it's good. I think it's it still just was hard, right? It's just I like mean, DevOps. It's hard, yeah. It's, so hard, we're all it's hard to, to get into that the exact sentence. But, I mean, I think that there's, there's uh, yeah, there's surrounding things around the infrastructure as code, right? Because in its pure form, let's say, uh, you know, you have a, a piece of code that provisions the infrastructure from nothing, configures it, and it's ready to go. Yes. Right? Okay. Now, can that, can you do infrastructure as code without automating the full suite of that? Sure. Can you, uh, <laughs> do, you know, do, do, you, do you have to have all the surrounding thing? Do you have to check that into version control? Not necessarily. However, you, of course, practice. those are best practices. Sure. Of course, you want to check your, your infrastructure as code in with. Uh, your application that, that is supports. relevant. Uh, that's Absolutely. that's like, exactly. if you're not doing that, why, right? Yeah, exactly. But but to, you don't have to do that best practice to have infrastructure as code or you know do that practice. It's just like a a pairing as I look at it. And the same thing with automation. It's like, well, now that you have this power, why aren't you automating it as a part of your pipeline. your de your deployment pipeline? Right. right? Like yep. it's, it's kind of like a no brainer type of thing, right? So um, let's talk yeah. about it as the maturity level of an organization. This came up yesterday in the chalk talk that you and I. Yeah, yeah. It was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Is that the guy said, "Well, if I don't have all of this, then I can't do DevOps." And you and I both said, "No, no, 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 no. no that's no, not no, true. No. You yeah. can do DevOps without infrastructure as code." Absolutely. Where do you think infrastructure as code enters on the maturity level of an organization? On time zero, I don't think you go in preaching you have to do infrastructure yeah. as code, right? No. Where do you I, think that that plays into the scenario? I mean, it's it's. I mean, the, obviously, the the answer is that it depends on the company, For sure. right? For sure. um, and so I think things like doing you know value stream mapping exercises to determine where's the biggest pain point in your the delivering value to your customers, right? That may be infrastructure as code. It may not be. Right? I, I mean, it, it really depends, right? So you're so saying in, in, in the right customer, it actually might be the first thing. It we might go be. And do. It might be. Yeah. Like like I've I've been to customers and. And their their development process and their ops people are severely slowed down in the overall value you know stream to their customers uh, for delivering their software by spinning up of environments gotcha. right or there's a lot of different things that that infrastructure as code plays into right for instance tons and tons of errors between environments like sure. you know dev to QA to stage or prod are all so different that it's really hard to have any reliability in you know, they spend or inordinate amount of time each time they try and take that build to the next environment because the environments are like fragile, not sure, things are different, and they spend all this time on it, right? So it might be the first thing, but 
and for some customers, they may have not that same kind of issue. It's a very simple infrastructure, and it's well understood, and it's it's not the biggest pain point. Gotcha. Um, so it, it really depends. Right? No, no, I see yeah. huge value. I mean, because yeah. I remember when we first met, it was almost like you. I almost gave off the vibe that I just didn't think it was important. And I was just thinking, I don't think it's the first thing, but not right. that I don't think it's important because yeah. I've had people go into a machine and change something as simple as a port setting and bring an entire system down. Right. And now it's a needle in a haystack. I'm like, holy yeah. crap. Like, yeah. I have no idea. We're going to spend hours trying to realize that some mm -hmm. guy closed a port on a firewall. Right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. if I had infrastructure's code that defined what must be true, yeah. I just rerun that again. Yeah. And all of a sudden my machines are back yeah. up, the app is back up, and then I got to go kill that guy later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at least I don't have to go yeah. hunt and figure Figure out what right. in the world changed in right. that environment. Right. The other thing too is, I mean, like for instance, uh, companies that are really looking to change uh, their architecture, they they may be on uh, doing IaaS uh, or even just VMs, and they want to move to you know more PaaS and other types of cloud services. Like you know, if if they don't have uh, infrastructure as code for what they have, it also becomes really hard to try and make innovations, I would say, for, for that. And so having having that the infrastructure as code in place can really provide a foundation for the developers and or ops people to make changes to the infrastructure in a evolving exploratory type of way, right? So Absolutely. for instance, I have, maybe a, maybe I keep my VM, VM for my SQL there, at, right? Let's say everything right now is VMs, right? Sure. I want to move to my front end in Azure Web Apps. Okay. And, uh, you know, I've got a, right now, let's say, a SQL box on a VM and an IIS box on a VM. Well, a logical step would say that let's move, migrate that IIS to Azure Pass. Web Azure, Yeah, Pass, Azure Web Apps. And, and so in that case, if, if I had all of, you know, that defining code, um, people could start to explore and say, well, why don't I just keep trying to mess with the Azure Web App in code, and I have I can spin up a new a SQL dummy instance and my IS thing in, in no time. That gets a lot of experimentation and, and ideas flowing for, for things. So that, that's a kind of a different angle sure. as opposed to a pain point and sure. more of an enabler that no, sometimes people don't think about. I also think infrastructure as code is huge at mitigating risk, risking the fact that there's that one guy in your organization that knows all the right buttons to click to configure the server. And if he's on vacation, there's no provisioning another server, right? Because he's the only guy who knows what settings to set. Yep. But when those settings are in code, whoever wants to go on vacation can, and I run a tool that goes and stands up another instance for me. Because yep. I, I know people who have been that guy and mm -hmm. like being that guy and hold all their information close yeah. to their chest just for what they think is job security, which is actually impeding the progress of the entire organization. And infrastructure's code might be fearful for them because yeah. it basically takes the, that information and that knowledge and it shares it in a way that can yeah. be used by everyone. Yeah, I mean, I think just uh, this is a general pervasive theme, and I think this this came up in the, the, the discussion we had yesterday also, is it's a, it's a, a culture and a mental shift, right? Because you're not thinking of protect my special server that I have the nice knowledge on and all that. It's it's like we care about our customer. The right. customer doesn't care about you're the amazing ops guy or you're the <laughs> you're the guru dev that only knows this piece of code thing right, super right. special. It's like <laughs> he doesn't care. He just wants to, you to, it to, to work. Yeah, to work and it to exactly. be reliable, right? And right. so I think like you know, on the internal side of things, it's like just you need to break down those walls and and have. I think the infrastructure's code is a great place for ops and dev to come together. You know, and 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 start to help each other out. And it's really cool when you start to see those kind of interactions like change uh, when you when you have the different kind of mindset. So you just brought up something there. Yeah. So and I got asked this the other day: Who owns 
infrastructure's code? Is it the ops team? Is it the dev team? I'd say, so, I always say it's more of a combination because yeah. the dev knows what they need, yeah. but the ops guy knows how best to configure it. So to me, it's yeah. a collaborative type of it, thing. No it, one really owns that that information. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, I think it should have very much a shared ownership. Uh, in terms of who 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 is the first one to start to go down the path <laughs> that's really hard to say like so in in uh, it happened to be that in uh, devdiv right in visual studio we had as i came to discover through uh, helping our devops store is aka.ms forward slash uh, our devops journey uh, right, anyway. I, i'll put yeah. that in the link too. yeah yeah so but uh it turns out that the devs actually were the ones that initially created the infrastructure as code uh, hmm. foundation however the service engineers, which is you know our ops people, they very much understood it, provided input, you know. Uh, but the initial person that got it going was the devs, which is which is a little different. And so this also kind of falls in line with what you think about the systems thinking of how do, can we efficiently go from dev to ops? Sure. And so you know if if you're a developer out there and you're like really frustrated by IT, like you know taking forever to like get this thing gone, it's like infrastructure as code is an answer. And I would say you know. Maybe find an ops person who's more open and willing to do these kinds of things. That might be the guy who's like heads down and you know buried in tickets or whatever. Fighting but, fires, right? Yeah, or, yeah exactly. but but you know, starting down this path and letting letting people know, hey, can we work on this together? Can we can we define it in a code? And it doesn't have to be you're using public cloud, right? I mean, it could be uh, the the first thing might be a DSC script that provisions a VM. Gotcha. Right, it it could just be whatever, but that you start to have that working on that kind of thing. Now, that being said, <laughs> I will say that it um, for some management folks that are out there, right, is this is this is like what are you doing? You know, <laughs> like like I've seen this happen in terms of because if you think about it, think about a traditional organization, right? You're developers, you're out there, you're being gold with. I need to push my feature faster and and all that and. And ops guys are like, just you have a pile of tickets and you're monitoring stuff and you're keep you know, the lights on. and you're keeping the lights on <laughs> and you may you know that once in a while you go through that release cycle and all that. Now, right. it, in order to work on infrastructure as code, that doesn't necessarily fit on either of those metrics hmm. for either team. So if dev guy says, hey, I'm going to de delay my features for two weeks so I can help on an infrastructure as code template, That's not gonna go managers well. would be like. Yeah, mm, what? Yeah, I need features. Right. Give me my give me my new stuff, right? right? And the ops guy, it's like, hey, uh, I can't necessarily do that deployment, or I really my ticket load I have to half, or just I'm blocked out for three, two days right. to get it done. Right. And and certainly there's ways you can make that process go faster, but nonetheless it's going to take somebody's time. Yeah. And and so it's and so so for for a management and other folks who don't get the value, they don't get the DevOps and the whole the whole the bigger picture. I see how that can be a problem. Yeah, but right? that's always, to me, it always comes down to education. Those yep. individuals have to be educated. Yep. They're C-level executives. These are smart people. Right. They can get the concept. Someone needs to take the time to explain that we're going to pay a little now for an accelerated velocity later. Right. And no one says that to them. They just say, we're going to go implement infrastructure as code. It's going to take two weeks. They're like, no, no, no. Give me the the return on my investment. What's the what's the cost and what's the benefit? You guys are just telling me you're gonna go try these weird acronyms I've never heard of before, and not even tell me what the benefit is. So mm -hmm. I find education is key right. to understanding why are we about to delay this feature? Mm -hmm. Oh, so that next month I can get five times the features? I'll I'll pay that cost. Right? Well, yeah, yeah well, a lot of people well, need to do that. Well, yeah, and I think that's that's part of the thing we're identifying. Really, what are the costs of not having it? 
you know what I mean? That's and, and, funny, and, and but we've been paying them for so long, we don't even know that we're paying right. them. That's right. Right, and that's Absolutely. the problem. Yeah, that's, that's right. The problem. Yeah, people don't realize they need it. Exactly. And, and they don't, they, they say, oh, that's a, a I've nifty. been doing it this way for 30 years. That's a, what that's a, uh, infrastructure's code, well, that's a pipe, pipe dream, or that's exactly. a fancy, cool little nifty thing, exactly. but, uh, yeah. I, it it'll works. never it'll never work here. Our software is too complicated. It works how it is now. Why are you going to change exactly. anything? Our, our like system. all these, yeah. Because they yeah. they don't see the when the pager goes off on the ops guy. They're not there for that, right? And yeah. They, and, and so yeah. they don't they don't pay the consequences or see the yeah. the downside of not yeah. having it because I demanded features yeah. and features showed up. So I'm going to demand more features yep. and more features are going to show up. But there's so much yep. chaos right. and pain in between those that they're either not privy to. And I hope that's the answer because I'd hate to think that they're just ignoring. Mm -hmm. the fact that that thing mm -hmm. is true, right? So again, it's about educating them yeah. on, hey, look, this process is not near as easy as you as you might think it is. Right. Well, we make it look. And so. I think that if you're the if you're the dev or the ops person who gets it, and you're like, I would love to work on infrastructure's code, but I'm too slammed heads down with work to even get some time to work on this thing. I think your role is to start to document like all the time that you're spending on configuration you know problems that time how much time did you spend or uh, your team or other people spend because there was a configuration error with the infrastructure Good how idea. much time did you spend uh, spinning up the, that that infrastructure the new thing or the infrastructure went bad and you're not sure why and you and you spend all this time on that uh, on the dev side it's how much time are you wasting because you're waiting on a new environment right start to put these things together you build mm -hmm. a case Bring it to your boss. Now you've got business. You know, you've you've rolled up the pain and put it into numbers, exactly, money that exactly, they care about, exactly. right? Exactly. You know? Numbers like, are king. They they yeah. they. Yeah. I I remember there was once where I was telling this company, I can't do this. I don't have enough uh, QA. I don't have enough QA. And until I said, I look all the estimates of QA and all the estimates of dev and said, look. This is how much freaking QA work I have mm -hmm. now, and I don't have this many people. And until I had the numbers, they just didn't believe me, right? So it's amazing how doing something like you just described to actually document the pain so that you can then share it in a way that someone else might get it is extremely important. Mm -hmm. So how has infrastructure as code changed the role of the ops guy? And does the ops guy have to learn new skills? Because yeah. I have to be honest, our Azure templates are just JSON. Anyone can do that. A yeah. Ruby script to do a recipe inside a chef? <laughs> Yep. That's not easy. Yeah. I mean, and, I and I've actually had to do you. a lot of searching yep. and, and trying to look for examples. And, and I'm a developer, and it was like, right. difficult at first. I can't right. imagine someone who does not come yeah. from a development background. Yeah. I mean, how does that change your role and your muscle memory and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, so I think, I guess one thing, uh, I think that there's a misconception that, that if you're an ops person, you just, you know, all ops people are scared of code, and they don't understand it, and it's just like... <laughs> This kryptonite to him, and I and I would say that's not true. Right? Perfect. I would say that's not true. Okay. Uh, you know, I've like I've talked to a number, a lot of different IT pros and ops people, even myself included. Right. I mean, I got a CIS degree. I okay. I did like four semesters of programming. I got it. I did well, but I just was like, I don't want to be a pure software developer. Right. I'm just like, it's, <laughs> it's not, not my for thing. everyone. It's not my thing. Right. It's like I everyone. love the infrastructure. I love right. that stuff. I think that you know, but but over the years, I've 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 enjoyed PowerShell. I really love Azure RM and the JSON stuff. Sure, sure. Like it's so it's different, right? Like I'd I'd even be more like I'm really interested in even writing a task for uh, for awesome. for Visual Studio Team Services. Like that's the kind of thing that like keeps me interested. But start from scratch and write a whole API, like. Mm, no. I'll let I'll let Donovan do that. You know, like that's cool. You can you can work on that, right? Right. So so there's a lot of you know there's a lot of ops people that 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 get it. You know, they could debug like you know Good. debug stuff. They can follow the flow of code, but they don't want to be sitting there 
you know, doing that. And so, so I, I think it may not be as jump to some. Now, there are, of course, ops guys who have no skill set in that space. Right. And I would say, I mean, we've been beating this message to, to ops people for a long time. Learn PowerShell. Yeah. Right? Yep. You know, I say I that mean, to everyone this I is not, way before DevOps even happened, we were like, PowerShell, you need to learn it. Obviously, that's code. You need to automate. Like, we've been preaching the automation message for a long time now. Yes. And so for, you know, for, for a real ops person, like, this this shouldn't be hopefully a big step. Yeah, you're no for longer you, the guy right? who just racks servers and connects the network. You yeah. better be someone who can script yeah. at a minimum, do some scripting, yeah, right? and be comfortable in PowerShell. Yeah, you you as an ops person to really evolve, you need to be, you need you need to evolve. If you're the traditional like what I think everybody stereotypes all the ops people as is like you just you're watching monitoring dashboards, you're just fighting fires, and you're maybe when you deploy stuff you go through a 50 page doc. Like, if that's where you're living and you haven't evolved beyond that, yeah, you absolutely have to evolve, right? Gotcha. You have to you have to help with the automation, right? Like, gotcha. you, you should be, as an, an evolved ops person, somebody helping enable the DevOps practices. You have the special knowledge as an ops person of how things run at scale in production, right? You have an idea of how certain architectures, ideally, are good or bad, right? Like, well, there's that fault-tolerant thing. Yeah, I know that thing sucks and it breaks all the time. Guess what? You are probably the unique one that knows about that, and get on board with infrastructure as code and say, let's define how it should look when you get there. So, it's another interesting concept too, right? I think uh, you know, there's there's dedicated architect roles, yep. right? And it, it that's a whole other topic. But I, I think an, an evolved ops person should start to know more about the architecture if they don't already. Gotcha. And and even go a little bit deeper in a, in a really true DevOps team where there's an ops person there, they need to understand the actual app that they're supporting For at sure. a deeper level. And they For don't sure. need to, I think the far extreme where I've seen is, is a bad case is ops person becomes pure software developer. Right. That doesn't need to be that way. Right. Right? Like, right. you know. Uh, you know I've, I've seen yeah. that when, I, when I've when i gotten some fear from ops guys. When they hear DevOps, they think that we're going to try to automate them out of a job. Yeah. And that's not it. I'm thinking, no. your job was right. never to read a 50-page doc on how to deploy my app. That was yeah. never your job. What yeah. I'm actually trying to do is give you your job back. Let you do right. what we actually hired you to right. do. Understand the network. Understand the hardware. Understand mm -hmm. the configuration better than I do as a developer. I don't want to know. To me, it better just be a virtual directory that works. I don't care what... Yeah. You do to make that yep. work, and if infrastructure's code makes your life easier, go for it, right? right? I don't even care. But I've met a lot of ops guys who are fearful that they're almost slamming the door in DevOps because they're afraid it means automate me out of a job. And I'm like, yeah. guys, that is not what we're trying to do. Nope. That's not what not, we're trying to do. Not at all. Not at all. Because you still you, have a I job you, to do. But I tell you what, if you don't get on the automation train, you might be out of a job. If you automate, you're that valuable guy and you're helping the organization go faster and you're you're there's all there's like always there's so much stuff to automate sure right there's there's not an end like right. uh, there really isn't right. like you like automating every, tests, automating every you know, time you make an improvement you should see how you can improve that improvement right it's just continuous right. you continually improve right like like and here's here's one which i know will get you okay let's imagine that you have your whole pipeline automated are you doing let's say automated fault injection yeah Crickets, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Right? Well, well and all yeah, kinds of stuff. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so, like, uh, so when I uh, I did the I did the keynote a long time ago about no ops does not equal no operations. Sure. Uh, I went around to different teams inside of Microsoft, and one of the teams I found was the Azure Active Directory service engineer team. So the ops team for them, they had like that were I think a great example of an evolved ops team. Okay. Right? These guys. 
these guys actually did write fault injection nice. <laughs> stuff for the Azure Active Directory infrastructure. Nice. They, they made a ton of recommendations to architecture changes for the service. They found bugs with the service, right? It, like, that's you can really that's really that's, that's cool like stuff. a really cool stuff, right? Exactly. And, exactly. And, and as and as you mentioned, as a dev guy, you're like, it's not my you're concern. like, I want to code new stuff. I yeah. want to see the cool new whiz bang thing. Yeah. Like, most I would think most ops people, myself included, I like really cool things like that, like sure, the sure, infrastructure, sure, sure, sure. like being super fault tolerant. Like, I can kill the database and it's cool. See, right. you know, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fun, right? And like, as a developer, I just want to make sure the database is always there, right? Because right. I want to, I program yeah. some of us do very optimistically. Yeah. And it's your job to make those optimistic right. assumptions true, right. right? That I don't have to worry about putting all this defensive yeah. code in if I can rely on you right. to give me an infrastructure and, that's going to be there. Right. And even, even a, even a security type person, right? It's, it's a little different mindset, but it fits into the same boat. Like, okay, well, maybe if you're in the old school security world, you've got these big old long documents for compliance and all these other things, and you're doing these manual audits and changes, like, well, when you put it into code and you, <laughs> you know, I've seen examples like cool stuff like where there's a, a user story that's involved to the whole team that checks for, you know, security flaws or automate, automate you being a security guy who helps to automate checking for vulnerabilities as the code goes through the pipeline. Like, that's super cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, right? for sure. You for know? sure. No, that's yeah. awesome. So one other thing I was going to think we'd take some time to talk about is, uh, or show, is some of the cool stuff that we've been doing. So even though we said that the the evolved ops guy probably knows some scripting and stuff, we've been doing a lot of stuff here at Microsoft to actually obfuscate or basically put an abstraction layer on yeah. top of all the configuration and all the complication. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to show you a demo of our new Azure tools and one of the plugins that allows us to create those ARM templates without really having to touch JSON ever. Sure. Right? So what I can do inside Visual Studio is simply go and decide I want to create a brand new project. And this project would live inside of the solution right alongside the code and the database and everything else that defines this solution for me. And what it's called is an Azure resource group. An Azure resource group is a logical grouping of all of the resources that I want in Azure that are going to support the application in which I want to deploy. For example, if I wanted to have a web app backed by SQL, I could go ahead and select this template. I'm going to scroll down and just let you see some of the other templates we have available to you. Now, this template list isn't all that you can do. It's just those that we've actually packaged up to make them a little bit easier. But if you're comfortable in JSON, you can definitely go right down into the JSON and actually change it however you want. The JSON is actually stored in these template folders. And as you can see, it's just normal JSON, but don't worry. You don't have to touch any of this. You can actually come over here to the JSON outline and have a graphical representation of all of the different files that make up your, uh, your template. And if I wanted to add things to it, let's say, for example, we wanted to add a Windows server to do some type of image compression to turn big images into thumbnails. What I can do is I can jump over here to the, um, the template and choose a Windows virtual machine. And what's really nice is that it makes sure that I have everything that I need to to create a valid template. So as you can see here, I'm going to go ahead and call this my, my app server. And then I'm going to go back and it says I need to select a storage account, which I don't have any. So it's going to actually have me create a storage account. And I'm going to go ahead and just call this store. And now it's going to have me go back and say, well, I also need a virtual network. That's no problem. I'm going to go ahead and create one of those and just call it VNet. 
And now when I come back, it says, now I have everything I need to to be able to add that Windows Server. So now this is why I always distinguish between infrastructure's code and config's code. Because right now, as David mentioned earlier, if I were to just run this right now, it would just be an arbitrary Windows machine. It wouldn't have IIS installed on it. It wouldn't have the right version of the .NET framework. It possibly wouldn't have the right ports open. But what I can do is add yet another resource. And this resource is actually going to be the resource that is called a desired state configuration extension. And what it's going to do here is I'm simply going to give it a name. I'm going to want to install IIS. And I'm going to go ahead and click on Add. Now, what this is going to do for me is a couple things. Add that resource, but also add the desired state configuration uh, script for me. This is an example script uh, for desired state configuration. And all I have to do now is choose which portions of this script I might actually want to run. Because right now, all of this is actually commented out. So what I'm going to do is simply take this portion here that says I would like it to be a Windows server. I'm going to cut that from here. Simply paste it outside of that comment. And now I actually have a template that will spin up an Azure uh, web app for me, also spin up a, um, a SQL server and even a Windows server, and then run this DSC script against it, making sure that we've actually configured it successfully so that we can use it uh, as a web server. We can then take this project, which would be inside of our solution with the rest of our projects, and just check it into source control, and then give it to release management, or even to our build system, and those templates can be used to automatically spin up your environment. I mean, I, I love the, the editing experience for, for Azure RM. I mean, it makes it super easy, even if, even if you're the ops person out there that doesn't know anything about JSON or Azure RM, or you may even be very only super light on your scripting skills or not at all, it's really not that hard to get started, right? As you can see, you make some clicks, the infrastructure is there, it's in code. JSON is not like some cryptic language, it's like human readable. Uh, you know, you'll find as you get going with things, it, it, I, I think it's actually kind of fun. It's like, hey, I want a new storage account. A couple, you know, <laughs> couple lines, <laughs> that's fun, right? Absolutely. You know, so yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Awesome, and, awesome. And then, and then I should also make sure we call out the fact that, you know, the Visual Studio experience uh, has some predefined templates, but if you go to the Azure Template Gallery, which is also connected up in GitHub, yep. um, you can submit your own templates that you find. Uh, and there's a lot of other you know, samples from Microsoft and non-Microsoft people that are there to help you maybe jumpstart uh, your your kind of editing authoring experience. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. So, David, I want to thank you so much for coming and hanging out with me today. It's always a blast whenever we get a chance totally, to do man. this stuff. Totally, man. It's good so, fun. So where can people find more about you? Yeah, so for me, my Twitter handle is at DTZAR, and my blog is itproguy.com. And you know, another good resource that I know we've been talking about, kind of relevant to, to this whole discussion, is the first episode of DevOps Dimension. We interview uh, the people who are in the the Visual Studio, you know, Dev Dev team, and they uh, have been kind of in pre DevOps and DevOps teams for a ops person, which we call service engineer, and a software engineer, and kind of how that dynamic works, how the role has changed. You know, some of these topics came up, but we, we really dig into that and, and the impact and what it looks like. So you as an ops person should not be scared. You kind of have an idea of some ideas of what it might look like. Right? Very, very cool. Yeah. Well, I really do appreciate you coming. And uh, until next time, guys, thanks a lot. See ya. See ya. Good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Perfect.